You're listening to Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Our aim, as always, is to help the people of God understand, love, and enjoy the Word of God. For more information, visit us at theologyuntucked.com. Welcome to another episode of Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. In tonight's episode, we continue our Bible series on literary genres. Tonight's episode, Revelations and Apocalyptic. And now, here are your hosts in Theologians Apocalypsis, Tim and Caleb. The apocalyptic Theologians. Good evening, sir. Looking forward to walking through the book of Revelation, singular, uh, with you. And as we do so, we uh, we get to deal with one of the most uh, misunderstood books and even literary genres in all of Scripture. Because I would say, out of all the genres, it's probably the rarest one that occurs. Um, we don't get a lot of apocalyptic literature in the Scriptures. We only have one in the New Testament, and what? one in the old right daniel is only partly apocalyptic yeah i mean you see some of them themes in in the old testament but but really this this idea of the the genre of apocalyptic literature really comes in this era of what would be called the the second temple period literature um so the intertestamental others but um you know so like if you you know if you've heard of of enoch and and things like that that were found in uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. and um, So it, it's very much a part of John's worldview and his time of writing, which doesn't that make sense? Um, so, you know, I'm going to propose for, you know, an earlier date than um, most most people are um, on, on dating revelations, but... Um, mm-hmm. and, and really all of, all, all of the New Testament, um, d- just because of these... Types of a thing that you know there, um, you don't you don't really see this type of writing you know happening into the second and third century where, where some people like to date this thing. So right, right. Um, what well, was interesting cool. on that Latin word? So I didn't know if you know this. I, obviously, we the Latin word was apocalypsis, but like in my Latin, English and Latin translation, well, when you put in revelation. A Apocalypsis is the Latin word. Mm-hmm. Yep. However, if you put in an S, the word is assumptionis falsus, which I <laughs> thought was interesting. Um, what, false assumptions? Yeah, I, I, that's what that's what I'm like. Huh. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, but anyway, we don't know Latin. It's just well, funny uh, for us to do this thing. I mean, apocalypsis is is just a transliteration from the Greek apocalypsis. Correct. Yeah, which is where we get a lot of that from. So, but and there's there's not even those from the Second Temple period, which most of us will know as the intertestamental period between Correct. like Malachi and Matthew. Uh, it's about a four hundred year span of history. But then there was some others that came afterwards, written in the Gnostic ones. There's the Apocalypse of Peter and and some of these others that were um, trying to uh, trying to explain current events from a from a heavenly perspective as well. And that that kind of one of these one of these aspects of the literary genre and um what's really cool is that revelation really refers to itself both as a prophecy and as an apocalypsis um, which is very unique because you do not typically get those mixed together in a single document in an authoritative sense in other words in the canon of scripture 
So you'll get a lot of overlap and interchange and stuff like that in some of the genre. But uh, but in scripture, the book of Revelation, very unique, very, very unique. And anyone who picks it up can see that immediately. Yeah. And of course, you know, one of the things that, Tim, you, you and I kind of both have is, is this problem with Bible abuse um, and probably especially in Western Christianity, especially in 19th, 20th century America in the West, yep. Revelations de- definitely abused probably more than any any of the other ones, uh, which which kind of <laughs> leads into the conversation that we're having. the the What I'm saying is a, a, the problem, or at, rather, actually, the difficulty with interpretation with mm-hmm. Revelations and and how we approach that uh, thing that you know we call you know exegesis and, and hermeneutics because. One of the things is, is unlike in the epistles and the gospels, um, where you know, we, we kind of covered this on, on earlier episodes when we were covering these genres, and how me and you both have a heart for how the New Testament uses Old Testament scripture. And, and so unlike these areas of the gospels and the epistles where it will explicitly quote from the Old Testament, you don't have that in Revelation. Mm-hmm. However, Revelation has more Old Testament allusions th- than any other book in the New yeah, Testament. By far. Oh, actually, one would one could even argue there's more in the book of Revelation than the rest of the 26 books put together as far yeah. as allusions are concerned. I, I kind of call them tunnels where like just a theme or a concept mm-hmm. or an expressive um, vision just goes right from, say, Zechariah. It bypasses everything else and just, you know, it's like those old Mario games, right? The, the platform <laughs> games where you just go, doo, 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 doo. you go down and then all of a sudden you come right back into the regular world again. And here, this exact same picture is showing up in the book of Revelation. And if you don't, like most uh, Christians, have a familiarity, working familiarity with the prophets in the in the Old Testament, the Book of Revelation is going to sit as such an enigmatic text, and you know, I mean, we we can almost be excused to have a misunderstanding about this because not only is there so much wrong teaching about the book, um, but then it also assumes the book assumes familiarity with other biblical passages that we simply downplay, in, uh, in especially in Protestant circles that um, uh, really more of the the, the old pattern uh, side of the West, like the, you know, you'll get some in in more liberation theology or in Black theology, they'll pay a lot more attention to the prophets than you will in um, in, in like say a, you know a, a classically um, you know, Presbyterian or Baptist church or some forth. Um, you won't get a huge focus on the prophets, and because of this, we really lack the language to deal with some of these illusions, some of these pictures. In fact, we'll read an illusion, we won't even know that it came from right. the old testament we'll just go like what the heck's going on with this you know olive tree and uh and this lampstand what's going on I mean, that's just such a weird picture oh well and <laughs> it's almost kind of like john it. was writing to an audience that would kind of already know and understand what these things were yeah. which kind of is obviously the problem for us um 21st century people trying to read this through the lens of our our tradition or, or, or our worldview because 
they didn't have our worldview. And, and this is another thing that, you know, you know, in, in, in our master's level of things that, you know, your classes on hermeneutics, biblical interpretation, you know, you, you are taught a little bit of kind of how to do this thing, you know, how, how the new Testament's used in the old Testament and all that kind of stuff, but they don't have our rules. The authors of the new Testament, John, for example, doesn't have the same types of rules. And so it's like, well, that's one thing I, w- I wish we would have had in, in our master's level kind of course is what the heck? And, and I don't know, Tim, maybe maybe it's just me, but I, I think you too, that while we have such a, I guess, a yearning to to dig more into this idea of, of how these authors are using the Old Testament text because it's not right. something that we're just really I don't I, taught well. Well, we're not taught well because honestly, I would and say the time, the time. Yeah, I mean, for the past couple hundred years, our culture um, had you know, I mean, nineteenth century evangelicalism was drunk on eschatological. Oh yeah, uh, the discussions of last things, end of the world, all this kind of stuff. Uh, modernism and its earliest attempts in the Enlightenment were all about learning enough science so that we can make the world ready for Christ's return. Right. I mean, that that was literally on the front cover of of Bacon's book. He's quoting Daniel 12, this idea that knowledge will increase, men will go to and fro, and then the end will come. That kind of a concept that we're going to usher in all of this. It led to progressive theology and all these types of things. And this overarching infatuation with the end of the world and Christ's return at any moment. And so and so if you go to the book of revelation looking for that you're going to come out sorely disappointed because it's just simply not what they're talking about uh and the book of revelation is not purely an apocalypse either Correct. it's got all sorts of other stuff jumbled inside of it and so even when we're talking about biblical genres we can't just go oh it fits into the apocalyptic literature genre or it fits into the prophetic literature genre because honestly it also fits in the the epistle genre it's a letter too, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, you know. So its context matters churches. more than most prophetics. Yeah, uh, right. It, and so that's not what we're going to do. We don't no. have any graphs and charts and complicated diagrams to go through. We're just going to kind of talk about a little bit of these different themes and stuff. That really the big idea. I, and, and Tim, let me know if you agree or not. I know that you will. Um, <laughs> It, the big That's idea. A big claim. Uh, I know. I'm, well, I didn't say I know that you'd agree. I said I know you'll let me. Know oh, got it. You, okay. Yeah. So that's really what I meant. Um, it is the big idea of John is interpreting the the old in Revelation. John is interpreting the Old Testament in light of his experience with with Christ Jesus, and and so meaning like messianic fulfillment interpretation is kind of what john's trying to communicate uh in my head that's what it seems like um which is what makes revelation the fitting book into scripture um Mm -hmm. you know genesis starts um in the garden of eden with uh, the tree of life it ends in the garden of eden in revelation with in the garden and in in the tree of life um so You know, it it just kind of makes sense. It's gonna um, fit so nicely there to where it is complete. It, you know, it's it's complete. Scripture's complete. Um, so Revelation's important. Um, we should spend time in it and talk about it. But there's really with approaching all texts some 
humility and carefulness that we, we need to take with approaching the text. Yeah, if you do not come into the book of Revelation with, with humility, you're going to come out with stupidity. Uh, I'm that, Graphs that, and that, charts. Right, and unfortunately, <laughs> that, that does well for you to sell your graphs and for you to get YouTube videos viewed or something like this. But in reality, it doesn't help you understand the book of Revelation. It was not made as a linear description for a modernist infatuation with the end of the world. In fact, the end of the world is a very small part of the book of Revelation. That might come as a very big shock to everyone um, because the book of Revelation is not primarily about that, um, especially as it is written to actual Christians going through actual problems. As The whole first three chapters are all about that. And this idea that these seven churches that this book is being sent to are dealing with massive issues of suffering and false teaching and letting themselves down and lethargy and um, and and persecution and all sorts of things going on in their midst. And, and this is not even the revelation of John. It's not even John explaining these things. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so there is there is a there is an aspect of Christ speaking to his contextual bride in the first century why they should endure their suffering so. And then that, and so many places it comes back up again he who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end to be saved. It doesn't matter if that end is your grave or or if you are actually still around when the end comes and you see Christ coming on the clouds with glory and great joy. It 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 does not matter which of those things, even if you end up as one of the martyrs. I mean you can see it in almost every chapter it comes out is is endure to the end. Well what if I'm martyred? Your soul is under the altar in heaven. Do not weary your mind with worry that you're going to be forgotten a little while longer, a little while longer. Wait, wait. And he just keeps on reminding his church about this. Suffer long, suffer long, suffer long. Mm. So, Tim, are you, you're basically saying that me or you are not one of the two prophets that's in Revelation. <laughs> The two witnesses? The two witnesses or the two prophets. No. Or, okay, you sure? No, we, I'm, I am okay. absolutely positive. There's not that, very few men. And I'm glad. I'm glad you told me that because, uh, man, they their end doesn't, like, come real well. It looks a little daunting. Um, being a little bit funny, but, you know, there's some people that have made that claim um, oh, yeah. over over time. Or, or others have made it about a, a person. Not, not, not what's happening um, there. And which let's kind of dive in a little bit to this. On, on so we're, we're going to cover a little bit about what, how John uses the Old Testament. There's, there was a couple of texts Tim that I used, uh, which I know you're familiar with. Uh, uh, Gregory Bill, G.K. Bill. Um, he, he's got a really good text on John's use of the Old Testament and Revelation, and he's got anything, several books. Anything on written those. by G.K. Beale is is top notch in my book. So I'm yeah, he's I, solid. Yeah, I haven't read that exact one, but uh, I I it is now on my reading. And list. he's got some shorter. He's got some shorter like commentary. I think with a uh, David Campbell and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. you, you know, if you if you, if you want to take a dive into Revelation, you know, I, I highly advise finding you know one of his texts. Um, G.K. Beale. Um, and so, like, the first thing that, that he's going to list of kind of how John uses the Old Testament is literary prototype. 
um, and, and really kind of what this is. It, and the reason why there's so many, there's six or seven different ones he's got listed. John's, the way he uses it is different, as we said before, than, than the rest of the New Testament authors, and, it, and it's kind of messy. Um, so mm-hmm. the, because, of, because of there's all of these allusions, and he's not quoting things explicitly, if you haven't read the Old Testament at all, it's going to sound totally foreign. Um, mm-hmm. But if you've read the, the prophets from, from the Old Testament especially, You'd you're going to, to recognize you're yeah. going to recognize some of these allusions. You should. Um, but how we interpret those is a little bit different. So literary prototype is basically, I look at it as modeling the text after certain patterns in the, in the Old Testament. So, for example... In, in Daniel 2 and 7, it, he uses that kind of content in Daniel 2 and 7 to make Revelation 13 and, and 17. Is that kind of the way that you would view literary prototype? Content for, oh, sure. And some yes. of these things interweave, you know, because the next one is, yeah. is like the thematic use, and this is kind of very... I, I feel like every time we try to stick it into a mold, it cracks it in in bizarre ways. Maybe that's it, intentional. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it not this, this, and this isn't a system. These are just kind of things that that he says that he does, and and some of these things right. are the same and kind of right, interweave. Right, right, right. Is kind of what we're saying. This isn't like a step by step system. Well, he's using literary. Pro- well, some of it's literary prototype and theme. So, like the second one's going to be the thematic use of the Old Testament. Right. So. Like the examples of, of the old is the divine warrior theme, um, you know, uh, celestial events, cataclysmic earthly events that happen in the old. He'll use that same type of imagery. Yeah, the day of his wrath, uh, and then the stuff, right? the day of the Lord theme, right? Um, which, which is a repeated theme um, throughout the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, you see all of these different kind of repeated themes, and this is it makes sense. This is John's worldview he knows his hebrew bible he spent time with jesus it only makes sense that he's going to do this type of thing and 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 speak this way to his audience right um so let me also add what i'm not saying i'm not saying that john didn't have a revelation and a vision he he did um but he's not like sitting there like inspired you know eyes closed and like writing this down you know there's a vision and then later coming back writing it down at least that's the way i would kind of picture that um well it almost seems like he's writing it while he's in the spirit but yes there's no doubt which is kind of nuts (laughs) you know how that kind of works out um or speaking it possibly to you know someone that's you know writing it down for him while he's while he's speaking um anyway so there there's themes there's literary prototype and then so the I, the analogical use it would be the third thing um Analogy, this is yeah. like a, he says kind of this is repurposing of people places and events so for example mm-hmm. the plagues of exodus um you see those types of um what would be be an analogy you know it's not going to be exactly like um what's happening in Exodus. Um, he's not quoting Exodus verbatim in, right. in any way, but you see the themes there. But there's a connection there that can't be denied. I mean, you've got, right. you've got things that come from God's hand that 
have a sense of naturalisticness to it, but then also have a supernaturalistic uh, aspect to them. Absolutely. And then they seek and they destroy, and they bring to repentance, which is really kind of the whole idea. Um, yeah, you you have all that kind of stuff there. Um, it it is fascinating. I mean, you mentioned one of the thematic uses already. You have the 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 tree of life. Now, I'm not going to say that this is a literary theme alone. There is literally a tree of life in a literal Garden of Eden somewhere in our literal past. That is my uh, very harshly held belief. There is I believe also that too. there is also in the distant future a literal apparent 12 trunked tree of life uh or some type of tree of life that's growing on both sides of a uh of a river of life proceeding out of the throne of god i believe this to be the literal tree of life that we will eat literal fruit from and have literal leaves for literal healing um this is these are not just imagery trying to tell a story about something and then we can just run away with it um there's parts of this that are that that do seem to be uh no not seem to be that are distinctly um allegorical but to allegorize the entirety of the book of revelation is really to miss the point um there's aspects i mean you mentioned revelation 13 there's aspects of that story that are plainly obvious that are rhetorical um, uh, imagery meant to show a point about the coming Messiah when he did come. Uh, you know, But there's other parts of the book of Revelation that aren't. And, and really, almost all the big disagreements come along as to where to draw those lines. I mean, one of the biggest ones is on the single chapter in all of Scripture that talks about this thousand-year reign. Is that an allegorical extreme amount of time? Is that a literal physical reign of christ on earth when he's you know seated on a throne in jerusalem or you know so you know is it literal is it allegorical what regardless it teaches the same way even if it makes your chart look a little bit different than the next person um but it's that's difficult because that really folds over into your view of demonology is satan currently bound in this long extended period of the church age or is that something for the future and so we can expect to run into demons all over the place you know um it really spills over into so many different areas and Mm -hmm. it, it all has to do with the confusions inside this book as to where we draw the lines with some of these themes analogies allegories and literal descriptions and it really well that's why the problem i've got a problem with all of these end times systems Mm -hmm. um because it you know we we like things packaged in this nice little type of thing where we can know what's going on and all that kind of stuff and that's that's really kind of what these systems do and they sound great until they're not great um right because all of these kind of end time systems either have to ignore some passages take take some scripture wildly out of context to to fit the narrative like daniel nine twenty seven, or they just full on just abuse it all all the way together and and so it's not it's not that we shouldn't study historical pre-millennial because it is all around this idea of the millennium Mm -hmm. you know that this of when that is allegorical um literal all of that kind of stuff and that's where you see kind of 
why they're all named all millennial, pre-millennial, historical, pre-millennial, dispensational. And, you know, uh, some of them are way crazier than other ones, um, but none of them agree and no two eschatology end times teachers, if you beg to even use that word, but um, end times teachers that the abuse. Peddlers. Peddlers. Peddlers, not teachers, peddlers. There's an entire industry of people that that solely prey on teach people. on this stuff and prey on people's suspicions. It's very frustrating. And and here's the thing. So, I for those of you who are listening who want to kind of challenge yourself, here here is the way I look at it. I and I I studied this for a good long while, and it was one of those frustrating areas that, you know, it doesn't matter how many people you talk to, you have that many different views of it. Um, I was raised in an area where it was it was dispensational premillennialism, pre-trib yep. rapturism, read Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins, all that kind of stuff. Um, I I know what the arguments are. I know what the texts are. I know what the focus is. Um, I've known postmillennialists. I've known post-tribulational rapturists. Uh, I've known amillennialism uh, in and and those are the proponents of all these things here here's where i land and and this is probably about the only place you'll ever get me to say this because i will just make enemies everywhere uh and because everyone chooses this as like a primary thing when in, in reality this no, i wouldn't even not. put as a tertiary issue it's no. such a small area though it has huge ramifications it does so here's where i fall I think we're all wrong. Yeah. I truly think we're all wrong. And here's here's my historical proof of this. Go back before Christ came. Do you know yeah, how many they... how many different views there were on what the Messiah would be like? Well, there Numerous. were texts that could prove that he was going to be a conquering king, those that he would be a suffering servant. There was those that had Elijah coming beforehand, others that had multiple other prophets coming beforehand. Every single school of thought was wrong. There were those who thought there would be two different messiahs to be able to fulfill those prophecies because some of them seemed impossible to go with the other. How could a suffering servant be a conquering king? You know, it, there was there was so many different aspects about the coming of Christ that every single person got wrong because the point was not to be clear it was to call people to repentance in preparation for his coming. His second coming is no different. And every time we sit down and do these charts, I just kind of laugh at us again because we're just doing the same thing the Jewish people did with the Messiah. And guess what? They were all wrong and so are we. That's my perspective on this. I think every single one of us is wrong. And so where we run into this kind of stuff, not only humility, but I think simplicity tends to reign. There is... A definitive difference between this age and the age to come that that John is describing for his readers he, he's addressing it with language that they would be familiar with he's putting it into the worldview that God had given to the Jewish people and then he's calling them to this to this eschatological view of a whole new age after this that's completely different than this one one in which God will wipe away our tears. There will be no death or crying, no sea, no sea anymore. You know, I mean, there's so many different things that are different about it 
that it's meant to be understood as a completely different age. There is this age and the age to come. This world and then the world without end. Now, then. And so this kind of perspective, you want to get down into the nitty gritty details, you will welcome error into your theology. I think the simpler you go with this area, the humbler you go with it, you could you could say it would be akin to those who were like Simeon, who was in the temple, right? How much did he understand about the coming Messiah? He didn't. He just knew one thing and he fixed his mind on it. Mm-hmm. There would be the consolation of Israel. Hmm. Israel would finally be consoled. All this all this sadness, all this death, all this frustration, all this waiting, all of this patience, all of this suffering would finally be worth it. And what Simeon says there is one of why he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He looks into this baby's face and he says, "Now, Lord, you can have your servant depart in peace." My eyes have seen your salvation. And I think that's how we ought to approach the book of Revelation. That there is there is so much enigmatic about it on purpose. God was not trying to be clear in the book of Revelation as to how the end of the world would come in its nitty gritty details. And if you're going to it for that, you're going to come out wrong. I promise. Well, yeah, and, and also, too, I would think that the risen Lord Christ, before he ascended into heaven, it's talking about this end of the world time, this day of the Lord, when he's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Even he doesn't know at that time. The angels in heaven don't know. So if somebody's telling you that they know that the date or that, or, or that it's imminent, I, I mean... They don't you know, know if it's a family member, love them, get them some help. If it's uh, somebody that's claiming to be a teacher, run. Yeah, um, and, and honestly, we really get into trouble when we even say, well, you know, we're not going to set a date on it, but golly, it's going to be in the next 10 years. You don't know that either. No. Oh, well, no. God says we'd know the times. You don't know the times. I'm sorry. Christians have been saying this in this culture for hundreds of years. We have always been wrong. It is our culture that is having a say this, not scripture. We are so used to prosperity that any amount of suffering makes us feel like the end of the world is at hand. No, God raises up cultures and he shreds them to pieces and tears them back down again. Just because we may be going into a time where our culture is shredding and in, in in the clutches of God's judgment does not mean the end of the world is at hand. And that's what's interesting too about Revelation. You know, you... John's audience is he speaking to an audience in this first second century that is about to experience these things in real time in their context correct however they thought the end of the world was coming too that's right they did um Paul's having to deal with this um issue issue in uh Thessalonica uh, you know every subsequent generation afterwards it is thinking that this you know that this the pope's antichrist or this person's antichrist or and 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 also too it's like well jesus says and the spirit of antichrist is in the world right now um many antichrists have come many antichrists have come so this is going to be a repeated theme right um we believe 
so like when it comes to any of those systems, number one, yeah, I, I agree with you. We're all wrong. And number two, I, which I, I I can't marry myself to any one of these systems. I can definitely divorce my son from several of them yes. um, based upon scripture. But I, I don't have a problem changing my theology when I'm with the Lord on when it comes to eschatology. I mean, mm-hmm. it just, um, I think it is neat to kind of look at and study as, as we're looking at the world around us. It's, it's becoming wicked, 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 wicked. Well, this has been a repeated theme throughout history. Mm-hmm. Israel experiences the same thing. So, so let's get back into John and these types of things that he's seeing and dealing with. Right. So the, that fourth thing, that Beale's going to talk about is he calls it like a universalizing theology of the Old Testament. Basically, what I believe he's saying is it's basically Scripture's message in the Old Testament about Israel is recast and repurposed on rather than this nation of elect people, nation of Israel. It's this idea of future Israel that the Old Testament's talking about. And so now in Revelation... That's all recast Israel, and that whole idea of Israel is recast on the, the world, church. on the nations that are faithful to Christ Jesus. And then and then so the other side that's not, <laughs> whether they be seeds of Abraham genealogically or in, if they're not of the seed of faith of Christ Jesus, right. they're that same kind of nation's idea of the old testament so you see those like he well, like you said he he used he says a universalizing theology of the old testament the content of the old testament theology and he's looking at this in light of christ and giving this revelation out right um, and you know he actually even says it right as his um right as his uh picture of all these things starts actually no when his vision of this starts so he in oh, yeah, revelation yeah. chapter 5 he goes up and he's talking about why it is that this lamb that was slain that previously was called a lion um you know why this lamb that was slain is worthy to be able to take this scroll and to begin all of this that's going on and there is a remarkable thing in here you say this it goes recast to faithful nations it goes it's recast to faithful people out of all the nations all the nations and so he and and i love this new song that they sang in heaven in revelation 5 9 and 10 Mm. they sang a new song saying worthy is worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed a people that's Mm. collective singular for god from every that's a plural tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them sing a collective singular a kingdom and priests to our god and they shall reign on the earth and and this idea that there's something more important than ethnicity than tribe than language than nation than people whatever it is you're pulled out of that that's that's the actual language um out of all of these and made into one unified group and uh, it is it is a remarkable which was the point the whole time right it was the right. point the whole time it was um, it was even from adam forward yes i mean like it and of course we've got hindsight 
and, and, and John has hindsight too in, in his time. So they, they didn't have that before Jesus came on the scene, but right. we, we've got hindsight. We, that's why we can definitely look at this and read and go, yes, this, this is pointing to Christ, and that's what John's right. doing. He's like, this was all pointing to, to this. And, the and mystery now of the salvation is, of the Gentiles is... That's right. That was the most closely guarded secret in the history of mankind. An absolute surprise. God did not tell the Old Testament saints clearly about that. He hinted at it. He showed them bits and pieces. But even Paul says this is a mystery that was kept hidden for long ages. That this is something that we did not see and could not see. I mean, but there were there were just peelbacks, just yeah. hints at it. You know, you get people like Melchizedek, right, who's not from Abraham's line. You, you, you get things like Jonah going to the Ninevites. You get things like Naaman the Hittite. You get things like Rahab the harlot, who is from Jericho. You get things like Ruth the Moabitess. You, you get bits and pieces all throughout that are hinting at this reality. You get at the end of Esther where these people in the Persian Empire were, were binding themselves to the Jewish people to protect them and became Jews, as it even is expressing. There's issue is on how that's translated but that they are they're they're aligning themselves with the jewish people at least as gentiles and serving the one god um you know where where ruth comes to naomi my you know your people will be my people your god will, your be, god my will god. be my god so there's all these pictures and hints that are floating through all of this and then we come to the new testament mm -hmm. and jesus just lays this on and he's still in the Old Testament times. I think a lot of people forget that. As far mm -hmm. as for old, as far as for Testament history is concerned, the Gospels are Old Testament as far as Revelation is concerned, um, because Jesus is still working the Old Testament covenant. Then, so what happens when he comes up to a Syrophoenician woman? She's a Gentile, and she says, "You, know, my daughter, please, please heal her." And he says, "No, it's, it's not good." that the children's food should be given to dogs. Calls them a dog. Right. And she doesn't disagree. I don't belong no. to the covenant of Israel. This isn't my promise. You're mm -hmm. not my Messiah, and yet dogs get to eat table scraps. Yes. Just the little pieces that fall off, that's all I ask for. And Jesus says, now that is the faith we're looking for. Mm -hmm. that's, that's everything about this. And then he heals her daughter. Mm -hmm. because all of these little breadcrumbs along the way, and we finally come to Acts chapter 2, and I know you're all excited about that passage because it just opens up to the nations of the world. Now we can just speak as Galileans, and someone from from Parthia understands me clearly in his own dialect. Um, that, 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 is, that is... And it's interesting that the theology of Revelation is lines up with what's being said correct in it and, it and it lines up with all these things that are cast in the old it's testament showing the fulfillment of all of this correct and and it's you are correct it is this is why it is set at the end of the canon list not only because it wraps it up nice <laughs> because it yeah, certainly does not just that not only because it's bizarre but also because it actually closes the book well. it closes it yeah. and it's fantastic you know that you so just and i'd never i guess even thought about this until you were talking about that that new song. So that that reminds me of uh, Deuteronomy thirty two, where it that's the song of Moses, and 
Moses is about to die. And that's where you have the Song of Moses. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the Song of Moses. But, re, you know, read uh, Deuteronomy 32. You know, that, that it talks about how um, basically how God divided the nations according to the number of sons of God. He basically puts these nations out. He's, he's talking about this Babel event. But Jacob shall be my allotted portion. Um, this is that. This is that elect part of Israel that's set apart. This is the calling of Abraham. Um, but that song is now this new song in, in Revelation five that you're that you were just talking about. I just see. Hmm. So like it's not verbatim. He's not saying, "Hey, Moses said to the people, Deuteronomy." John's not doing that, but. Just, just you kind of going through that narrative of the new song. I'm like it, you know. There's a theme there, yeah. um, that and it just makes sense. This is what's in John's head. Um, a couple of other things that we haven't talked. So we've talked about how um, it's apocalyptic and this and that and these other themes. And so the, the, you know the last two um, that he that he kind of lists is what would be direct prophetic fulfillment and then indirect prophetic fulfillment um indirect prophetic fulfillment is going to be kind of interweaving to these other ideas that uh it's a topological topologies basically a, a non-verbal foreshadowing uh, of prophecy fulfilled and this happens throughout uh, other parts and then there's you know he says it's direct of course it's hard to be a direct prophetic fulfillment when you're not quoting from the Old Testament directly, right. so it's like indirectly direct. Uh, so it, it, it's a little confusing on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, so like what he would what he would say would be kind of direct prophetic fulfillment is you know say Zechariah twelve ten to Revelation one seven. So like um, the passage where uh, look on uh, uh, they will mourn when they look on him whom they pierced right uh, that. Oh, with pleas of mercy, I don't remember exactly what Zechariah that reference. twelve ten, and let's see here. I will pour out on the kingship of David and the population of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, so that they will look at me, the one that they have pierced. Right. They will lament right. for him as one laments for an only son, <laughs> and there will be a bitter cry for him, like the bitter cry for a firstborn. Um. So, oh, and here I just turned to Revelation 1-7. Oh, behold, yeah, so he is coming that. with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Well, looky there. Interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, there you have direct fulfillment, well, direct anticipated fulfillment, at least, of, yeah. of a clear prophetic parallel without a quotation. Yes. And, and that's and kind so, of just the fun of that. There's the, you know, this talk about the lampstands and all that stuff. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's in Zechariah. There's a lot of stuff, um, allusions to several things in Isaiah. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's Daniel. What what other? So let's talk about the two prophets a little bit, because there's a lot of kind of things, theme-wise, you can look at with the two witnesses or two prophet type of a deal Uh, you know a lot of people you know obviously the Mount of Transfiguration you have Moses and Elijah Mm -hmm. there Um, and so this isn't necessarily an end time system thing but you know it is it is it Moses and Elijah 
come back. I'm, you know, if, if Moses and Elijah come back, first of all, and it's the end time, and these guys show up in potato sacks, um, I would imagine that the Holy Spirit is going to let us know that this is who these two witnesses are. And the reason I would say that that, that would make sense is because, well, when the Mount of Transfiguration happens and they're there with Jesus, well, Peter and them recognize, Peter, James, and John recognize them as Moses and Elijah. Well, how is it they knew that? They didn't have pictures of them. They didn't have, you know, so, but but they knew that that was Moses and Elijah. Um, so, like I said, if, if the two witnesses come back and Moses, I'm, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal that to me. If it's just two guys in potato sacks and, I'm like, they're crazy people, then I, that's probably what I'm going to have to assume. Yeah, um, well, I think I think with with that at least you've got the you've got the expression of Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration as the yeah. representation of the but law that and the doesn't prophets. necessarily mean that that's what's happening yeah, in that, Revelation. That's really that's hard kind to of extend a, to this because it's really it really is. You've, you've just, got, so is it John the Baptist and Jesus? Well, no, it's got no, Revelation that, eleven verse four. I mean, the very next verse it explains that these are the two olive trees, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Uh, if anyone harm them, fire pours from their mouth, consumes their foes. More and, angelic, supernatural beings. Yeah, so, I mean, if like. we are talking about a literal thing, we are talking about super angels. I mean, and if we're talking about an allegorical expression here, again, the 1260 days is, goes back to the, you know, the, the 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 work of Daniel. But then you also have the, the expression of the olive trees, which also comes from Zechariah. Um, and the uh, even the two anointed ones from Zechariah chapter four, uh, it, there's so much complexity so much. to this, and, <laughs> and we are not going to sit here and try to iron this stuff out. But I, I think the the reality is that you have a lot of overlap. Even mm-hmm. even the fact that these two witnesses in Revelation eleven um, pray for it not to rain. Okay, that's an Elijah thing. I mean that that's why people oh, think yeah. this is Elijah. So and it's just there again it's a theme it's not saying that it's specifically elijah but, but they're the also saying there. it's moses too because in the same verse it's like they also have the power to turn water into blood so uh, again familiarity plagues. with the old testament mm-hmm. leads to seeing these themes enough so that you can be healthfully confused does that make sense yeah Okay, I like that. Healthily confused. Yeah, because because it's a good thing with the Bible. Otherwise, you're unhealthfully confused, which is usually how people sit in Revelation and just go like, you know, forgive me. What the hell is happening in these chapters? (laughs) If you have not read the Old Testament and you're reading Revelation 11, your mind is jello. You have no idea what is happening and and they're just they're talking about plagues they're talking about water turning to blood they're talking about two lampstands they're talking about 1260 days they're talking about authority to do this and fire coming from their mouth that uh, there's so many things the bottomless pit wars that are happening on the face of the earth if this is a literal thing we've got you know celestial warfare happening on on the ground uh, if it's if it's spiritual aspects if this is all pictures of of grander things that are happening i i honestly i have not settled because i usually find that when i get very detailed in eschatology especially in the book of revelation we i i end up in bad places <laughs> so far at least well then there's it's not always all 
eschatology end time stuff throughout all of Revelation. So Correct. it's like you know, Sometimes it's it? an apocalypse. What? And then look at um, look at Revelation twelve. Now, this is, and I I read some work on this by by a few people, and I I actually agree now that the whole idea of the a third of the angels have rebelled and fell comes from this revelation 12 and that's it right but that's not what's happening correct this isn't the fall of the angels a third of them rebelling this is the birth of christ and when, when this is this is the birth of christ now it's it's telling that chapter 12 is telling it through these celestial events um that are happening up in the sky but it, it is clearly the birth of christ um that is being spoken about. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward um, <laughs> that the woman is so, Israel. <laughs> but so, but that, but you see how how people have like a, a third of the angels um, are what the demons are. Like, nope, that's not what's happening. It well, does well, we talk say about that a, like a dragon, like a third of the stars swept out of the somewhere. sky. Well, and and like if you look at the context of it, it it looks like that because it talks about like he swept a there's. There's war, and like some of the good angels are trampled upon. It's like, uh, okay, <laughs> um, didn't I? I didn't hear that part of the one third of the angels rebuilt. But that's the only place in Scripture where you have traditionally heard that a third of the angels rebelled. Just read the context of chapter twelve. That's not what's happening. Um, there's there's actually a few different rebellions that that are spoken about from meaning from an angelic realm there, there's several different re rebellions how we don't know that scripture doesn't tell us this is talking about one event at the birth of christ where this dragon sweeps a third of the scars for this guy this is it's this literally is obviously herod verse. trying to kill this is herod to, trying to kill children in 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 bethlehem um so like Remember your nativity story. Like it's this is obviously this type of a thing. Um, so look, that's something that's something that 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 has happened. That's not a, a a future event. That this is something that that happened. Um, he never explicitly says, "Hey, this is the birth of Christ here." Um, and I think that's because John's. And he's it, it's it's not chronological order either. So that's another thing about Revelation. Yeah. It's not like okay, this happens in chapter one, and this happens in chapter. It's not like that's that. what it's I that's what I was messy. saying at the beginning. When we come with a linear expectation, we we yeah. are going to be thoroughly confused. I mean, we're not saying that this dragon is not Satan. Obviously, in verse nine, he identifies him as this. We're just saying that as far as for correct clear teaching on you know there's there's half the amount of demons as there are angels. There, there's half of a verse. That's it in all of Scripture. That is not an, even when we talk about the 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 Lucifer passages and stuff. Okay, that's not a description of the fall of Satan either. Mm -mm. Okay, I mean when when we're talking about this right here, where it's talking about this, and it maybe in it, all we know is that this is a vision. It doesn't mean it's direct history, right? Correct. The only direct historical eyewitness account we have to the fall of Satan. Do you know where it is? Well, we've got some stuff in Isaiah and Ezekiel that kind of allude to um, a possible really, picture of it. But, but it's really Genesis 3 
it, or, or it no, talks we don't about even the have serpent, the fall. That we just have that he's there. Oh no, that's just it. That, There's that's only one eyewitness account in all of Scripture to the fall of Satan, and it came from Jesus's mouth. I saw Satan fall from heaven I saw like Satan lightning. Fall from like that's, that's right. it. That's right. Is the is that only Isaiah place? No. But he's case there because there's he's he's bringing something back to Isaiah when Jesus is saying this. That's in Matthew, correct? Luke chapter ten. Uh, let's look at that because that's interesting to me. Yep. So the idea of there being a tree of knowledge of good and evil kind of tells me there's already been some kind of fall possibly but before you know i don't know um let's see yeah, yeah but he doesn't say like december 31st or october 31st on halloween no. <laughs> 6000 bc <laughs> what why wouldn't he say that i should say that <laughs> well and, and then also too We we measure time based upon being on the earth and a revelation of of, right. of the earth on its axis going around the sun. Well look, you have the you have four days of creation before you even have the possibility for a twenty four hour day. There's some big theological things and we're gonna do some stuff on on Exodus. Have you got to Luke yet, Luke ten? Mm-hmm. I wanna look at that passage. Tell me did you find the specific Yeah, Luke ten yet? seventeen. 18 uh the seven he's talking to them about uh their ability to cast out demons the 72 returned with joy saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name that i mean what a huge claim verse 18 he said to them i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven behold i have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you one of my favorite statements from his mouth but rejoice that your names are written in heaven so what is Jesus saying there? I'm, he, so he gives us the authority to tread on serpents. Those the uh, plurality of serpents. He gives seventy-two. Let's be clear. He gives the seventy-two this authority. Whether it's uh-huh. given to the whole church is an interpretive extension. Correct. 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 So yeah. giving you authority. So he's he's addressing specifically the the apostles. Yep. And There's re- just some really weird regardless stuff. of how many awesome things they're going to see and do their point of rejoicing is is the determined outcome of the father before the world was made it is Isaiah 14:12 this is probably taken as an allusion to Isaiah 14:12 yeah but that that assumes that Isaiah 14:12 is a description of Jesus or not Jesus of of Satan which is not not as clear as people like it to seem. Well, and that's kind of like even while the things that it this and this is Bach that says this uh, probably right. best taken as an illusion. It, it's it's a really a little messy here because it's not because it's actually an eyewitness claim. <laughs> it's not him going back to you know hey you know where it says in Isaiah yeah it's I see what like you're this. saying there because you, you know he's obviously like, this there's is, a reason why I can give you this authority I was there I I'm threw gone. him out right That's I threw right. him out like lightning from heaven okay I was there when it happened That's why they are subject to you in my name That's a remarkable statement and one that really gets passed by quick 
Um, Because that's an implicit just claim to Christ saying, this is who I am. I saw this thing happen. Because also, too, this is what's happening in in this intertestamental Second Temple period. There's all of this literature, and this is where you have a lot of this all of this literature on this rebellion of divine, you can tell they're trying to figure out and package and understand this during the intertestamental second temple period when Jesus comes on the scene, because you don't have this demon possession reference to demons in in the old Testament. It wasn't Um, happening. It wasn't happening yet. So that means they're trying to now, it, it makes why it is sense. it happening? They're seeing, why is it happening now? Right. This is happening now. Now they believed in a in a supernatural, evil supernatural, correct world, but there's not this possession of demon type thing. This and, is and the this Pharisees is happening. We're working overtime to try to figure out how to exercise. Trying them. to figure out how to exercise them, and and some of them. Are it seems like maybe some of them are kind of successful. Some yes, they of them are. get beat to a pulp. They stumbled um, upon some incantations, some herbs, some ways to do things, just as the same as was going on in Ephesus. Just like the nations did. Correct. Just like because guess what? They're coming out of Babylon. Why is this important? Well, Babylon is where you have all of this myth theology about the the Apkalu and 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 giant beings and all that kind of stuff. Now, of course, this is also in the Old Testament too. But they they you got to think their worldview coming out of Babylon and so this is this is really kind of where you the reason they got cast into Babylon is because of great apostasy. Mm-hmm. So it it's not like they went to Babylon and this whole apostasy apostasy thing was was cleared up. No, I they their theology is messed up. The, yeah. the, the their, their theology is messed up, and so Jesus is setting it like setting it all straight. It's like why John the Baptist say like, um, you know, you say your seeds of Abraham, like, like God can raise up seeds of Abraham out of these stones. He's like, you're missing the point. Uh-huh. Um, also, that's another interesting John the Baptist. He, you know, he's the only one that's uh, gets the Holy Spirit in the womb. Hey, if, you're in my, if you're in my pneumatology class, we spent an entire class on that one passage. That's some neat stuff right it's there. It's fantastic. It's I, I actually described it as as the only time where the Holy Spirit ran into himself in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> Before the day of uh, Pentecost. Or, you know, it, it was it was the only time ever where the Holy Spirit was present in two different people at the same time and they ran into each other and recorded scripture. Yeah. Uh, and and the joy that led to that was kind of this foreshadowing of Christian fellowship. Anyway, it's, it's a fantastic thing uh, and a remarkable passage at that because that yeah, was... Yeah, we could go on forever, kind of running out of time. And, yeah, and look, what this and this is the kind of things that... Uh, and Tim and I have spoken about on, on future episodes on... on things that we're going to um delve into this is going to kind of really i guess close up our our genre series i know Mm -hmm. we covered it very generally there's so many interesting uh things to delve into and 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 so like you know any listeners out there that um are interested in some kind of topic based upon the genre series or a book or something that you would like tim and i to to discuss on an episode you know send send us those emails let us know sure um and 
that I mean that'll be great. And, you know, we we want to we want to do that sort of thing. Uh, and if you don't, then don't complain because then we're just Tim and I are going to pick one. Yeah. Um, yep. I think some of the some of the plans going forward, we have um, obviously we we've ended our genre series with this, but. I mean, we're going to be alluding to this every time we come into scripture. I think some some episodes we're going to be spending just an entire hour in a single chapter of scripture somewhere, and you'll see the way that we interact with these things. And I I always find that fascinating because some people ask me, you know, how is it you, you know, you you wrestle through a passage, prepare a sermon or whatnot, and it's like, well, it would be fun to actually do that, you know, in a recorded session, just kind of mulling over a passage and getting confused together. Um, and then working our way out of the confusion and then settling down on what is it that scripture is dealing with in this passage. I I always find it great um, to get, uh, as I say, uh, healthfully confused and uh, and then Mm, come to a resolution on these things. And to have that part of a a part of a show, I think, would be helpful to some people to have their own encouragement as they come into scripture. It's kind of our goal with biblical genres when you set down into an epistle or when you set down into a prophetic passage or a wisdom literature or historical narrative or law that you're not going to be utterly lost that yeah. you'll you'll be able to go okay i'm i'm working with something here i know it's an epistle let's keep context in mind let's ask that for first question who's writing this and who are they writing to and what issue are they dealing with and and that's that's the way that we need to approach things like this um, and it's 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 really a wonderful thing that God has chosen genres of the world to speak mm. to us on language levels that we can understand. Can you imagine if God just spoke to us in a heavenly language that we couldn't translate? Hmm. That'd be kind of boring. Where too. where would we be? Right. I mean, we would just. It's much more fun this way. It's it, but it really it's is messy. And that's why I love yeah. it. Kind of like our lives. Right. Kind of like our lives. It's almost yeah. like he spoke to people like they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, Tim's going to close us out here. And so in closing, just some closing comments for me, that what what we really want you to kind of see, not that not that Tim and I are just like Mr. Humble Pie, but we, we also want you to see kind of how we do interact. You know, there's, there's disagreement. There, you know, there's... Mm-hmm. But and that's okay. Notice that we're not. It's good. That, that it's good. There, there, because we don't, we don't all have it figured out. So there, there needs to be some humility. There needs to be some correction. Um, uh, there needs some be some dialogue and discussion. This is how we, we grow with one another. So no matter what, like not that there's levels, but 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 where you're at with if you're intimidated about reading your Bible at 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 any level or if you you know or are a bible scholar i encourage you to get with some other brothers but whether it's one two three that and do this thing that you know do these types of things like tim and i are doing and going through scripture and and there there's so much there's so much fruit that that comes from that and and that's my prayer for for all of the listeners out there um to commit yourself to that. It's, it's, it's this thing called discipleship. Right. Um, you know, you ain't got to make it weird. Get together and read your Bible w- with some faithful brothers and sisters. That you, you can trust. make it a little weird. You have our permission. Yeah, you can make it weird, but not too weird. <laughs> it takes all types. All right, let's pray. Close this out, Tim. Father, we thank you for this uh, time together. We thank you for your word. It is a remarkable gift. 
that you have given to us. We thank you that even in that very theme, there's crossovers between a written body of scripture and a walking body of Christ. Uh, mm. That is a remarkable thing that you have uh, expressed to us and, and one that certainly mesmerizes the imagination and tantalizes the mind. We do thank you for this evening. We thank you for the book yes. of Revelation and how yes. it humiliates us and also humbles us, but it also gives us fuel to endure suffering as Christians yes. ought. And we pray that it sits higher in our mind rather than one to be feared. It is one to be revered um, mm. and and one to come and listen to and sit at the feet of and 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 learn in light of all the other things you've said to your church throughout all ages. We do pray, Father, as we uh, pass through the coming years, you give us wisdom. We know there's very few things in your word that you say explicitly for us to ask you for. Wisdom is one of them. And we know very much so that we are lacking in it. And we pray that your unending grace would uh, shower that down on us, that we would continually learn to see your world and your word in light of how you interact with us. We thank you for all these things, Father, in your Son's name. For listening to Theology Untucked. Join us each week as we engage in all things theological, biblical, and cultural. These are the types of conversations we should be having in the church today, and we aim to play our part. Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like us to address, or a prayer request, please send them to us. You can reach me at Caleb at TheologyUntucked.com. Or you can reach me at Tim at TheologyUntucked.com. Do note that your prayer requests remain strictly confidential. We will not be sharing them on the show. For more information or to support the show, please visit TheologyUntucked.com. Lord's blessings to you all.